Hi, this is Kara Swisher, and I want to talk to you about my new podcast for the New York Times called Sway. If you want to know what people who hold power in our world are really all about, you need to hear how they answer the tough questions. And that is my specialty. And although it might get messy, as it always does, it's also going to be really fun. You can get Sway wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are available Mondays and Thursdays. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast from Site Visibility with your host, me, Scott Colnut, and my very, very special guest. I say special guest every time, but a very special guest who I'm really excited to talk uh, to today, and that's Joe Polizzi. Um, founder of Content Marketing Institute, um, who a lot of our listeners will know about, co-founder of the Orange Effect Foundation. And I've got to send a congratulations to you, Joe, because a uh, uh, fiction novelist as well to add to your repertoire recently. Well, yeah. Thank you, by the way, Scott, for having me. I'm sure you, you butter up all your guests that way by saying, this is, this is the best one we've ever had. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's interesting. So after... You know, after I sold Content Marketing Institute, which we could talk about a little bit uh, in 2016, I decided, you know, in 2018, 2019, I really wanted to try something different, wanted to wanted to do something that I didn't think I could do or I didn't know if I could do and, and ended up publishing a, a novel called The Will to Die. It came out officially in March of 2020. And thankfully, people love it. And uh, I surprised myself. I didn't <laughs> I didn't think I had it in me. And it is much more difficult to do fiction than nonfiction. Yeah. Uh, one of the topics I wanted to, to touch on was that transition because, again, um, you've released books, nonfiction books related to marketing. You've uh, you know, produced hundreds of articles since early 2000s. Um, and so that transition into fiction, was that something that you were working on during your time at Content Marketing Institute or did that just come in the last few years where you, where you just – dove straight into that. No, it definitely came after. I mean, I I mean, you know some some about my work. I'm all about focus. So whatever you do, like when you went before I we started uh, content thing, marketing, yeah. before we started about content marketing institute, I was always like, okay, I'm just focusing on my job. So when I left my executive position at a business to business publishing company, then the day I left, I moved on to CMI, I focused 100% on the job before, then 100% on CMI, and then once I finished CMI at the end of 2017, started fresh with something else. And I don't know. I mean, I know there's a lot of different ways to do it, but I can't be great at one thing, more than one thing at a time. So I'm like, okay, how do I be great at this one thing? Well, I've got to push these other things to the side. And, and what's the idea always there in the back of your mind for the, for the will to die and the concept of the book? Or is that something that was completely new as well? Well, it, it started, there's a couple of things that started, but probably the biggest issue was, um, I got into a conversation with my wife about, you know, reading one of my books and I, and all marketing books at the time. So I think at that time I had six marketing books that I wrote or co-wrote. And she said, I'm not going to read a marketing book. I, I, it's boring. Like I, she basically only read the acknowledgments of every book. I mean, she had to see if she was in there, right? So she got, I got to check the acknowledgments. Okay, did he write about me? Great. 
Uh, and that's it. She's, she never read any other part of any of my marketing books. And she said, you know, you have to write something interesting for me to pay attention. I said, okay. So I sort of made it a goal starting in 2018. I'm like, I wonder if I could write something that she would like to read. And she loves mysteries and thrillers. And so uh, I went on my journey to figure out how to write something that she would like. Now, good for me, I wrote about what I knew. So I knew about the marketing industry. So the main character comes from a marketing agency. Uh, I knew about the funeral home industry. So he inherits his father's funeral home. So it's set around a funeral home atmosphere. So I wrote about those two things. But it is a, it is a small town murder mystery. And, uh, and luckily, you know, she... She loved it, uh, which was a That's, big that was be question. Yeah, <laughs> as you know, I really want to know what was her review. That's after you've put two two years of of your heart and soul into a book. You, you want a glowing review from your wife? I, I was Scott. I was so nervous because <laughs> because you know we talk about in content marketing, you write to your audience. My I had mm. an audience of one. The person yeah. that I had in my head that I was writing for the entire time was my wife. What you, what you think of that? What you like that? How about that twist? You know, can I, can I fool her here? So it, by the way, that really helps with any content marketing you do to have a very specific audience in mind. So I had her read it. She read the manuscript on her computer and she'll tell you, she, she was all ready to give the nice wife, Hey, your pat on the back. You did it. It was really good. But she honestly really liked it. Like she said, look, there's a couple things that I would address, but this is this has got legs. And so I took that and then really went into the editing prop process after she liked it and took it down from originally it was about 110,000 words. The final manuscript ended up being 86,000 words. So cut a good 15% uh, out of the book itself and uh, sent it through a couple more editors, which editors are the most wonderful people in the world because they do the uh, the work that I can't do and, and cut my own useless information that's in the in the book. But it worked and, and it worked out great. And uh, yeah, it's just funny to write something for your wife like that because, and I've written, like you said, I, I've, I can't imagine how I've written uh, 5,000 articles on content marketing over the last 20 years. And she never read any of it. Besides, so like, how do I get her to read this thing? So I actually, write something she was interested in. It worked out. <laughs> Was that a new experience for you in terms of um, feeling more, did a little bit more self-doubt actually when writing? Uh, because I guess you wouldn't have had that as much when producing content over the last 20 years in marketing. Uh, no, I have I have plenty of experience in self-doubt. <laughs> so, I mean, and I don't know, maybe it's an entrepreneurial thing because it's, it's interesting as an entrepreneur. So when I left, uh, you know, working for a media company, company, a corporate environment in 2007, went on to start what became Content Marketing Institute, uh, start my entrepreneurial journey. Of course, I believed in the idea. As an entrepreneur, you have to have uh, a, this blind faith that you can succeed. But it's weird how you can have this faith and at the same time think you're going to fail every day. Like That's really what it's like to be an entrepreneur is it, it's one hour. You're like, this is the greatest life ever. I'm going to completely be a success. And the next hour you're like, what did I do? I ruined my family. Why did I leave my job? Like it's that way for, for years. So you just have to fight that battle and keep saying, look, if you work the process, this is going to work because the most important aspect of the journey, this is with content marketing or with entrepreneurship is patience. And you just don't know exactly when you could say, oh, maybe I don't have to go work for a company anymore. Maybe I can really make it. So you just have to be patient. 
Mm. I, I guess one of the, as you're talking about entrepreneurialism, one of the biggest differences that stands out to me, maybe, um, perhaps for you, you'll, you'll be able to tell me, is you were working you, as a founder of Content Marketing Institute and producing articles for so long. And before you eventually sold the company, you were in that company, I think, 17 years or around about that mark before it was sold. So you're working as an entrepreneur day in, day out. But when you're, uh, as a writer, you've kind of got an end in sight. And, you know, we're speaking maybe three, four months on at this point after the book release. I guess, where are you at now? Have you got the hunger now to write more nonfiction? Are you going to go into a different avenue? Uh, I don't know if I have the hunger to write, but I love to teach. So that's where, and I, I, one of the ways that I teach is through writing. It's also through speaking, although I don't do as much in-person speaking these days and nobody else does either. So it's just, <laughs> you know, we've got to work with that whole issue. But uh, yes, actually, I always had a goal to write a, like a formal book every two years. I've sort of sped up that process because I wrote, um, you know, Robert Rose and I wrote Killing Marketing in 2017. The Will to Die, the novel, officially came out in 2019. And now I'm starting on the new version of Content Inc., my book from 2015. That's starting. That'll be released in 2021. Wrote a mini book called Corona Marketing this year. So I'm, I'm basically ramping up the teaching just because I think there's a need. If I don't think there's a need, I, I wouldn't do it. Like Corona Marketing, the book, would have never existed. But I said, I saw a lot of companies that were making a lot of the same mistakes that happened in the Great Recession. And that's the time when we were building Content Marketing Institute. And I wanted to say, hey, look, here's 13 things that you should not be doing or should be doing right now. So there's a need for it. Um, I felt the same thing with Will to Die, even though I really wrote it for my wife. I'm like, there's really no mystery thriller books out there that have a marketing protagonist. I thought that that was something that needed to be out there. Like, I I mean, maybe you could tell me I couldn't find... You know, a, a mystery or thriller out there that that stars a marketer. I mean, who wouldn't no. want who wouldn't want to go there? So I always just look for the need. So I'm I'm ramping up my writing big time. Probably writing more now than I ever have in in my career, especially since I'm not working on the, the operational issues behind a, a business like Content Marketing Institute. Mm. You you touched as you were talking on and. Um, I didn't mention it at the beginning of this podcast just because we got into talking so quickly. But the, the topic in a roundabout way that I wanted to talk talk to you about was how to stay in love with content marketing. And it sounds like the the need that you spot a need and that seems to be what drives you. So the love comes from the need. Is that an accurate way of describing it? Um, all, yes, I, I would say that at least the way that I look at it, it's what problem we're solving. So, and and if, if you look at the journey from what Content Marketing Institute was in 2007 to what they are now, the the content mission, if you will, has changed so many times. I mean, if you look at, okay, 2007, we were just trying to say, hey, this is content marketing. It's a thing. Have you heard of it before? Here's the definition. Here's the basics. Here's how you build a buyer persona, you know, bas- basic things. Well, now... You're talking in 2020, they're really looking at real complex content marketing strategies and how you integrate marketing tech in with, you know, the formal marketing structure and where does content marketing sit between sales and marketing? I mean, there's all kinds of real complex issues that we weren't talking about in 2007 because we weren't there yet. So the problem initially was just to get out there and say, hey, this is a thing. And advertising isn't the only game in town. Like there is this thing called own media. It's been around for hundreds of years, but maybe you need to think about it in a new way. Like we try to put a new wrapper on the whole thing and resell it. 
And, you know, and then when we started to struggle and go up against when content marketing world, CMI's event started to bump up against inbound, which is HubSpot's event. We're like, this is an issue. This is a real competitive challenge. This is a business problem. So then we made another pivot and said, we are just going to focus on complex content marketing issues for enterprise brands. So brands, you know, that have, let's say, more than a thousand employees or more, whereas inbound really focused on small and medium-sized businesses. So that's where we could separate ourselves. And that created all new types of opportunities for us because enterprise content issues are way, way different than small business issues. So that's all. Yeah. Same thing. Where's the problem? Where's the need? It's the same thing with any product. You're just saying, okay, if this, if our content was a product, how would we behave? We would behave in this manner because we are trying to solve the problem of this audience. And instead of doing it with the product, we're doing it with content. Hmm. Is it a problem that you're actively looking for? So, it, um, so is it a, pr- a daily practice that you undertake to spot problems, or do you think you've just kind of got a natural ability to spot gaps in industries or spot needs in different industries, and then you kind of get the drive to address them? No, it is a daily, daily thing, and I, I can't stress, you know, my, it's, I'm, I'm always learning. So I'm always, mm-hmm. Scott, I'm just looking out there. I'm trying to talk to as many people as possible and, and learn what's going on. And, and a long time ago, when I started in sales at a company called Pent Media and it was about 2001, 2002. And my boss told me that every week I had to do five reader calls. So I'm a salesperson and my job as a salesperson was to contact usually by phone, but sometimes in person, sometimes through email and talk to the readers of the magazine, the readers of our content, and figure out what kept them up at night. Scott, I cannot tell you that was the best education I've ever received because I learned firsthand what the problems were with the audience. And then I could go to the advertisers and sponsors and say, oh, man, I, I talked to Judy from Seattle and this is what she's dealing with in her business. And, you know, you've got this product. It just was so great. And then you know, taking that on to the editorial content side as we were building out Content Marketing Institute, we created all types of feedback loops. I call them listening posts. So where, how many listening posts can you set up? Well, you can use social media for listening posts. You can do surveys for listening posts. You can meet with your customers and your readers uh, in person through virtual events. Like how many of those things? You should have by seven, eight, 10. Are you talking to your salespeople? What about your HR department? You know, other employees? You want to set up a, a hundred of these if you can around the company so that you can really learn what those needs are because they're going to evolve every, every day. And I don't think enough people do that. I think a lot of companies out there, content marketers will say, Oh, good. We got our content mission. Here's our audience. Here's our process. Here's our workflow. Everything's set. Let's go. But you got to realize every week we should be talking to the editorial team and saying, well, what are we hearing? What's going on? How is our audience's needs changing? How are their pain points? Are they, you know, when, when they wake up asking in the morning and how do we solve that? That's a, that's probably the most important thing of anything that you can do. Mm, that's, I mean, really interesting advice. And it makes me think about for you, what I'm curious about both now and at, um, from your time at Content Marketing Institute, was it ever difficult to strike a balance between undertaking, I consider everything you've just spoken about to be a form of active listening and kind of you're constantly listening more than you're talking but at the same time, you said your goal was to educate and still is to educate. So was it a difficult balance to, and how did you find the balance between listening 
and observation and actually sharing and talking? Uh, it's hard to say that there's a balance because that's they're they're both part of the process. I mean, you okay, can't so you're doing equally. Almost. You can't have one with yeah. You can't have one without the other. So if you said, you know, if you hire a writer to do and say, okay, well, your job is to write three blog posts a week. Well, how much of that is listening, research mm-hmm. versus writing? So I would say, I mean, you know, you write, Scott. Every, a lot of people listening to this write. They create content. How do you create that content? Well, okay, I have an e-newsletter. I put it out every. Every two weeks, I spend five to 10 hours a week doing various things of talking to people, listening to podcasts, watching documentaries in order to put together that content, which if you look at it, you're like, oh, it's only 800 words long. I spent 10 hours on that thing (laughs) in different in different ways. So if I look at. Boy, it's hard to put a time on it, but I mean, it seems like I'm spending more and more time on upfront research and listening and feedback, maybe, maybe 10 times more than the content creation process itself. So it's, and I think the, the reason I mentioned it is because it stands out to me just listening to you. I mean, I see it and you probably seen it and have seen it way more than I have is the amount of content that's produced and you kind of discussed, um, discussed or noted a, a content churn process where you know, you're given the brief, the content writer writes the content, you put it out into the world and you're onto the next piece of content. But there is a real missing gap there in the content churn cycle of listening, of identifying needs. And one of my questions for you, which I mean, maybe you'll have additional advice, but one of my questions to you was going to be for copywriters, content producers, content marketers out there that are maybe finding themselves falling out of love with the process, maybe feeling the effects of burnout. You know, what would your advice to them be? Um, it sounds like listening and paying attention and observation and making sure that's part of the brief. I think that absolutely is part of the equation. But I mean, this, my advice that I'm going to give only a certain, certain number of people can do it because it depends on your environment and if you can get away with it. Hmm. But let's be honest, we're all creating too much content, way too <laughs> much content. So what, okay, so great, Joe, you're saying we're creating too much content. Everyone will probably agree with that. What do we do with it? And I actually just talked to somebody about this this morning. They were, you know, doing a bunch of different things. They've got, oh, we've got these virtual events that we're creating content for, and we've got our blog, and we've got our podcast, and we're creating specific things on LinkedIn, and doing, you know, 10 different video series, 10 different things. And I said, well, which ones of those are making impact? And the answer really was, we're not sure. And I'm like, well, what if you did this? What if you took those 10 things and you said, we're going to create content for two different ways. Let's say you do a podcast and an e-newsletter and you say to that particular audience, you're going to create the leading podcast or you're going to become the leading informational expert on that topic to that audience in the world. Most people laugh at that. But then if you laugh, you're like, well, you have to be more niche so that you could actually become the leading expert in the world. And then you can expand after that. But but I digress on that one. So just focus on le- less content and put more of your heart into the things that you're doing. Like a good friend of mine, I'm sure you know Andy Crestadina from Orbit Media Studios in Chicago. And he used to create, you know, basically a blog post a day. He's churning out all kinds of content. Well, what he ended up doing was he creates one amazing, really long, really well-researched post a month. 
And the last time I talked to him, he says, believe it or not, he's getting more traffic than he used to with one post versus like 20. Because that one post is amazing. It is life-changing, life-altering for his audience. So in order to get the, the passion and the creativity back from the copywriters and writers listening to this, I would look at the content you're creating and try to get to a point where we're just not churning out content and we are putting together really integral content experiences for people that are going to change their lives. Again, Scott, I, I got I got to preface it with, if you're in an enterprise, sometimes in an enterprise, you can't do that. But if you're an entrepreneur and you have some say over the process or you're, say you're the VP of marketing or, or the head writer at your media company or whatever, then you can start to make some decisions and say, we're going to go against the grain and we're not going to create 150 pieces of content this month. We're going to create 30 amazing experiences that our customers will never forget. And in, in terms of um, specific ways in which um, to to help with listening skills, to help identify needs, um, do you you say you're talking to people a lot? And I assume, in, you know, I know you feature on podcasts and there's the writing experience and meeting with businesses. Are there any specific exercises you might recommend to copywriters that they can go away and maybe start to maybe find that spark and uh, undertake more of that research? Yeah, on, honestly, uh, again, this is, you know, you'd think, oh, you could do a survey or you could, mm. you know, you could listen on Twitter and stuff. Yes, you could do all that. You're probably doing all that already. To be honest, if you don't want to, a lot of people don't want to take a phone call today, let's be honest. I would email, get in contact with your readers. I mean, seriously, I would, I would pick out, do your reader calls, but do them for the year 2020. However, you can get the information and go to, you know, go, go to Scott in Long Beach and say, Hey, Scott, I, I see that you're a reader of our blog, our newsletter, our whatever. I mean, you've got a subscriber list and just ask them some, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? No formal survey, but do it as a regular process. So I would say, you know, get up in the morning and send out one every day. Hmm. Now, are That's they all going to pan out? Nope. But two out of those five are going to be gold and you're going to get tingles up and down your arms because you're going to say, oh my God, I learned something new or we're really making an impact with our content because a lot of writers, you just don't know. Maybe you don't get the data. Maybe you're not getting the feedback and understand that you are making an impact on these people's lives in a positive way. It, I, think it, I think those small things will be life-changing and they're not. it's not technology. This is really, really easy to do. Well, that's, uh, I guess, one of the reasons that I asked the question, and I, I thought you might go that route with that response, but it's the the first, and it's not in every company, but there seems to be a natural next step for content producers or copywriters is, you know, they're asked to do research and the automatic next step seems to be to look to technology. Let's use this social listening tool or let's do, use this content research tool. But there's still a lot to be said for that one-to-one -one connection and one-to-one -one interview process, as you said, with your customers. So I think that's some really great advice. And, um, you know, maybe there are copywriters listening and or content marketers listening and you're feeling a little bit stuck in your role or maybe you're working on a project and you're feeling stuck. Joe's advice there, you know, go speak to some of the customers and um, yeah. 
listen to them uh, and, and listen to the customers. Well, you're right, Scott. Really you know, and, and by the way, I'm sure you know you agree. There's nothing wrong with all this wonderful tech out there. It's amazing the information we can get. But we used to have no tech, and then we went to all tech. Mm. <laughs> let's let's come back a little bit and say let, let's bring some of the humanity into this business. And, mm-hmm. and really focus on our storytelling in a way that, you know, we've been doing for a long time, but some of us forgot. Yeah. No, I mean, that's one of the reasons I actually really love doing this podcast is you, you even just speaking to people in a written interview or another format, maybe, maybe it's just article writing or eBooks. Sometimes you just miss, you hear something in someone's voice or they'll use a certain phrase or you'll sense something and you'll be able to go down that avenue. And that's something that you wouldn't get if you weren't listening and having that one-to-one conversation. So it's something I'm really enjoying. And it, it removes me from my computer, although I have got it open to record. It removes <laughs> me from the um, it removes me from the technology aspect. And um, I mean, that's really been very useful for me just as a marketer. Um, so I, I can see the benefit and how that might translate to uh, content marketing as well. Absolutely. Um, so thanks for that. Um, just um, moving on to kind of currently what you're doing, and I really, I was, I'm so excited to talk about this. So, could you speak on a little bit about the promotion for the Will to Die, and just to set this up, just as the background, really, you've built up a network over the years in marketing, and then you go into this fiction area, which is somewhere where you don't necessarily have maybe reputation, maybe influence, maybe a network just yet, and so you've got to promote the you've got to promote this new product well you don't have to but i assume you want to promote this new product in this new area so then you've got to look back to your marketing experience and think well how am i going to promote this book can you maybe speak on where you were at in terms of the content plan for this book how it came about and some of the things you experimented with because i know this is a fascinating story no it's it's a great question because i I struggled with it uh it was it was weird it was almost like going back to the beginning because i mean i I worked for a long time to build my personal brand if you want to call it that and to build cmi's reputation and you know we we spent a lot of years building up an audience of you know millions around the world that we could make a positive impact and so i'm then i left and now I'm going in a completely different direction, writing you know, murder mysteries, and I have zero audience besides my wife. So an audience of one, let's say. <laughs> maybe maybe 10 if I count some of my friends. So I'm like, okay, well, what do I do there? And I'm trying to figure out how do we get rid of as many barriers as possible so that people that like this genre will learn about me, find out about the book, and and can easily share it with their friends. So I made a decision. And by the way, at the same time, I'm a big believer in one platform form only at a time. Yeah. So like, and I've been talking about this for years where, you know, instead of like, we just talked a little bit about it. Instead of launching five things at one time, launch one thing really well, be the best in the world at it. And I said, well, I'm going to put you know money where my mouth is. And I decided to launch the book. So this is at the end of 2000, December, 2019, launched it in audio format only. You couldn't get it in print. Uh, you could not get it as a digital version. You could only get get it via audio. And at the same time, it was free. So I basically launched it as a podcast, although all 42 chapters were released at the same time. And w- we teased it a little bit in October, November, had a little trailer, said it was coming, subscribe here. All my promotion was around, hey, get the book for free. All you have to do is subscribe to the channel. So I'm trying to build up a, a new channel. Uh, on the pod on, on iTunes and, and Stitcher and mm-hmm. Spotify. 
And uh, we launched officially in, in December of, of 2019. And it took, you know, thankfully it took off and people were like, hey, it's a free, it's a new book. It's free. They're all available. Mm-hmm. Uh, all you have to do is if you have a podcast player, which almost everyone does, is who, who it seems like everyone has one today, uh, went and downloaded. We had over 50,000 downloads of it. I couldn't believe it. It was so successful. And so that's how we kicked off the marketing. And then in March, I launched the other versions for paid. And I think because we did it this way, that's why I think we stayed. I hit hit number one in four different Amazon categories, which I mean, at first I was like, oh, that's nice. And then I realized how hard it is to do that for novels. It's a lot oh, easier yeah. to do it on the non, on nonfiction side. So we were able and we were able to stay at, on those top charts for, for a few weeks now. And the book continues to sell very well. So I think the reason why was focusing on that one channel, giving it away for free, breaking down the barriers. And I realized a lot of those people that listened to it for free on podcast ended up buying the book in another <laughs> format in March. So you, you know, you think, oh, they're not going to get it again. But a lot of people said, oh, good. I want to get it in print. I've been waiting for it. I'm like, mm-hmm. so was it the best way to do it, Scott? I don't know. It was a way to do it. I learned a lot. Would I do it again? No, not as a repeat. Now that I built an audience, I probably would launch launch everything at the same time. But if I was going to give advice to a new author in a new field, I would actually, uh, I would probably recommend them taking a hard look at that strategy because it it was it was the best way that I could think of of growing an audience from nothing. And it sounds like you enjoyed it, which is also a huge part of promotion. You've got to enjoy what you're doing when you're promoting it. Oh, I well. Shoot, I've got I I just want to try something different. I love testing. I love I'm like, has anybody done this before? And I I did learn of a lot of people that released they released their book as a podcast, but they would do it like a chapter at a time or three chapters at a time. Nobody was releasing it for free all at one time and then saying, mm-hmm. Oh, get it. Because most well, well, first of all, publishers and agents wouldn't go for it because there's no money in it. But since I'm self-publishing, I can do whatever I want. And I I just wanted to build an Book one is all about building audience. It's not about anything revenue generating. And if you remember, you know, what the goal is and you're like, all we're doing with book one is audience building, then it changes your perspective a little bit. You can say, look, I don't have to sell anything on Amazon because all I want to do is gain new subscribers. So if it's a book two, they're ready. And then book one, then book one actually, you know, if you look at, you know, John Grisham or any of the big novelists out there, Lee Child, they didn't sell great. Their first one didn't sell great. Their second one sold a little bit better. Third one sold great. And then that helped sell the second one and the first one again. <laughs> so that's yeah. kind of how the book sales go. Well, one um, just last point on the book. And uh, by the way, I'll link to the book in the show notes so people can go and find that. And also um, uh, the the audio book is out. And that, that's what I wanted to touch on there. Did you take the podcasts and then kind of merge them together to form the audio book? Or did you re-record for the audio book process for this book? We recorded at the, when we initially recorded it, we, we recorded in mind that we would have a podcast version and an audible version or an audio book version at the same time. But I did get quite a bit of feedback on the podcast. Uh, for example, there were two or three situations where guns were used and I used them incorrectly or not as correctly as they should have been used. So I had a couple gun experts email me and say, Joe, you have to fix this in the next version. Uh, I had, yeah, I had a couple graphic, very graphic scenes from the funeral home that 
some people thought were unnecessary. And after thinking about it for a while, I thought I would, I would close off a good portion of the audience because it really turned from, let's say a PG 13 into an R with those scenes. And I'm like, how do I get it sort of back to a PG 13, uh, rating? So what we did was, uh, I took out those sections and re-edited those. So probably four or five chapters we recut to make the audio, the audiobook version that's out there, um, in, in March and available on Audible and Play Away and all those other things. Oh, amazing. That's interesting information. It's the feedback was great. Scott. Feedback. Oh, yeah. I'll yeah. Tell you what, it's, and I, I really, I mean, I expected it because we just had a whole 20 minute talk about feedback and how important it is, but I didn't know that I would get so many people correcting me. And that mm-hmm. was one of the benefits of the podcast because then now all the versions that are out in March are all updated. They're like, there's right. probably two, 3,000 words that are completely different in the new version versus the, the original podcast version. Mm, I guess that's fun. talking about technology and just on the topic, that is one benefit to technology is the, uh, it's kind of the iterative process of improving things. That's something I love. You can go back and edit, edit an audio book, or if you've made a mistake in a Kindle book, once you've published it and you've self-published, you can go back and edit it. Um, and that's just a, an amazing thing to be able to do and update things following feedback to create a more polished version. Um, yeah, that's, that's a fascinating, that could be a whole other topic. You're right. It really is upset. (laughs) I mean, I've got a a print book, a digital book and an audio book. And basically by just hit, you know, uploading and hitting publish, I can change all of them simultaneously. And to think, Hmm. you know, even, you know, when I published the first book in 2008, I mean, there, once you published, it was done. (laughs) There (laughs) are no changes anymore. That is it. So, (laughs) And yeah, um, I'm going to, uh, you've been very generous with your time. So I'm going to wrap up the podcast on this final uh, point and question. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't get you on and not talk about a little bit about the future of content marketing. And what I'm particularly interested in, I mean, we're, we're talking through podcasting um, at the moment. And I'm just curious to know your thoughts on mediums into the future, things that you've seen that maybe you're excited about um, in terms of content marketing trends. Well, first of all, just on an overall big picture of content marketing, I not, I'm calling right now is the third stage of content marketing. First stage was after the 9-11 tragedy. The second was after we saw a worldwide great depression. That was the second stage where it took another bump up, really became content marketing as a discipline. And then today, right now is the third where we're, you know, around the world, there's, there's basically complete changes in economic forces. We don't know what those ultimately are going to be. But it is pushing the, the direction is pushing toward companies focusing on their own audiences and building content platforms and content brands in order to service those customers from an informational standpoint. So the opportunities right now have never been greater. It's also very challenging because there is so much clutter out there. There is so much uh, information in all verticals. So the, the mediums I would, I'm excited about are we just had a good, big conversation about it. I'm probably most excited right now about audio. Mm. Um, I basic, I, I think people are discounting audio and not realizing that in five, 10, 15 years, I don't know, we are not going to be typing in search queries. We are going, everything's going to voice. Most of the, most of the people that I know that text are using their voice right now. That's just one. They have a lot of people that are changing channels by voice if they're watching television. I mean, these things are only going to accelerate. And if you look at just even though you could say, oh, there's X number of millions or billions, whatever podcasts out there, it's still not nearly as crowded as video or textual content. 
if you look at every vertical out there. So I think there's a huge opportunity in podcasts. And at the same time, there's there's basically no reason you can't. It doesn't cost, as you know, Scott, it really doesn't cost anything to do a podcast. You, no. You're not spending a lot of money. A little bit of hosting here, depending on what your hosting platform is. But you get yourself a good microphone. There's a hundred platforms that can help you get that thing published and it doesn't cost an arm and a leg. So the small, I love it for anybody that feels that they just don't have the resources to compete with the big enterprises. Uh, yeah, you do on audio platform. Absolutely. So I'm really excited about, about audio. And I'm also excited about the fact that some people are starting to take what we've been saying for a long time seriously about just cutting back. You don't have. Whoever told you, maybe I did at one point, unfortunately, <laughs> that you have to be everywhere your customers are at online is full of it. You do not have to. You can decide strategically where you should have conversations and where you shouldn't. So take now is a really good time for everyone to reset and say, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing that video stuff that nobody watches. Or maybe we shouldn't be on Facebook as a B2B industrial company. Uh, you know, I don't know. It just, I just add, and now is the time to ask the question, go do your content audit. And if you feel that, hey, we could be, have the greatest e-newsletter out there if we focused on it more, or had more resources, well, go get those resources and get that focus because mm. you can absolutely make those decisions right now. And that's a, a perfect way to tie the conversation full circle. Going back to a, the topic of the podcast is how to think, kind of uh, stay in love with content marketing well. You've got to focus on needs. You've got to listen and observe. Uh, but number one, and it stands out to me from speaking to you, is focus. Focus on one thing and um, and also make sure that thing is yourself and put your voice into the medium that concerns you, uh, that you enjoy most and that you love most. Don't necessarily worry about being everywhere that your customers are. Um, that's the lesson that I've taken from some of that conversation. And, um, I just want to thank you again for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Do you just want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and find your books and um, your content? Oh, yeah, thanks. I appreciate the time, Scott. So if you go to joepolizzi.com, that's P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I.com, you can get all my books and speaking and everywhere you can get. I've got a new little mini book out called Corona Marketing. So you can get coronamarketingbook.com absolutely free. And, uh, and then you can get all my, you know, so my big passion as well as the foundation, Orange Effect Foundation, where we provide speech therapy services for children with speech disorders and who can't afford speech therapy. So that's the orangeeffect.org. Brilliant. Have a great day, Joe, and thanks again for your time. Thank you, Scott.